Thanks so much, you guys. So good to see you guys. Merry Christmas. Well, let's pray, and we'll begin the service. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much, God, for this time. We pray, God, that your spirit would fall on us right now and speak. Lord, we're here for you, and we're so thankful that you're here for us. We're so thankful that you love us. Bless this time, Lord. We give it to you in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, I've been asked to come and open up for tonight, so here's my question for you. Pretty easy one. Who likes Christmas? All right. Sounds good. Now, now, why do we like Christmas, though? That's the question. I think if you ask you know, a little kid, they'll say, oh, presents. That's what I said, at least. Uh, if you're an adult, though, you know that presents means money. And you're like, oh, so it's not as fun. But, you know, we get presents for people because we love people. I, I love what uh, Danielle, 12 years old, here's what she said. She says, I think the reason we love Christmas so much is because it's a time of love and happiness. Not because of presents, at least not for me. I love the snow and the smells and the lights, the cookies, the trees, the decorations, and family all around. I love it all. Christmas just makes me so warm and happy. I love it so much. And I, I think it's so true. You know, we love Christmas. One of the biggest reasons is because of the atmosphere. I mean, think about it. Like, what do we see when we drive down Main Street and Vista? We've got trees and lights and holly and all this stuff. And, and think about it, you know, for some of you girls, when, uh, when some of you ladies get done with Thanksgiving and you wake up the next morning, what's the first thing you do? You go and you decorate the house for Christmas. I mean, look at these decorations for church. I mean, didn't these turn out so good? The, the team did such a good job. Let's give them a hand. Yeah, it's beautiful in here. You know, the question, though, is why do we do this? And I think oftentimes for us, it's because we're thinking, you know, oh, it's Jesus's birthday. So things should be special and wonderful and beautiful and whimsical because it's, you know, the birthday of Jesus Christ. But if you think about it, that's not really the treatment that he got the first Christmas. That's not really even how God the Father did it for Jesus's birthday. I mean, think about it. Was there decorations in that manger? Was there a tree with ornaments and lights in that manger? No, it was a manger. I mean, think about that. Think about how, how crazy that would be. Jesus is the king of the universe, and yet he's born in a smelly farm stable. It'd be like, you know, if Jesus came today, you know, if he was born in 2017, but instead of coming, you know, in nice, crisp December, he decided to be born in like the sweltering August heat wave. And instead of being born in a palace like a king, he's born in the back of a laundromat to like a homeless teenage mom. That's what's going on here in the story. And why would he do that? I mean, you know, we think, doesn't he deserve better? He's the king. And you know, this is the wonder of the incarnation. The incarnation, it's a word that means God became flesh. I love what John says in, in John chapter one, the beginning of the gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word already existed and the word was God and the word was with God. When I was a kid, I thought when it said in the beginning was the word, I, I, I pictured a Bible like floating through space, like flapping its pages. Um, but that word, it's the Greek word logos, and it's talking about Jesus. In the beginning was God's message. In the beginning was the one that God had always wanted to say to us. And then he goes on to say, so the word became flesh, human, and made his home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father and the only Son. You see, the point is not that 
the baby became the king, because babies become kings all the time. Uh, king Henry VI, uh, when he was eight months old, became king. But you see, we only have one king who became a baby, and that's Jesus. Think about it. The, the, the king of the universe became a baby. That's, that's amazing. You know, I, I think it's so opposite of human nature. Human nature, we try to escape the ordinary and become the extraordinary. We look in our mirror, we look at our life, and we say, I don't like this person that I am. Many feel trapped by the ordinariness of their life. You know, they're working in an office job, and they think, oh, I want to go and become the next American idol, or I want to go and become famous, or I want to become rich, or, and, and we have all these ways of doing that. You know, sometimes we invest in bitcoins. If you don't know what that is, ask your nephew. There's a 90% chance he knows what that means. Um, but you see, God, he's very different. His goal is not to leave the ordinary and become extraordinary. No, God was extraordinary. He was stupendous. He was glorious. He was the king of the universe, the one who made the suns and the moon and the stars, and the one who literally spoke and his word created galaxies with the mere voice of his spoken word. And what does he do? The extraordinary one, he becomes ordinary. He is born on earth as a peasant living in a small town, born in a stable, working a blue-collar carpenter job for his entire life in obscurity. I mean, and he didn't come down to earth like to do kind of like an undercover boss thing. That wasn't his plan to like check up on us. No, he came down to earth because he knew that we needed a savior. He came and dwelt among us. You know, recently I had a situation. God, God's really been um, just in my life constantly reminding me of my own failures. And uh, I don't know if he does that to you, but he does it to me all the time. Uh, a couple years ago, you see, my wife has always wanted to get a real Christmas tree, but I grew up with fake Christmas trees because my mom was allergic to Christmas trees. And if your mom's allergic to Christmas trees, like you logically would think like, oh, I'm allergic to Christmas trees. That's just how it was passed down in my home. It's like, we can't have a cat because mom's allergic to cats. Um, and I was allergic to cats, but with trees, I always had this idea that I couldn't have a real Christmas tree. So when I get married, my wife's like, let's get a tree. And I'm like, oh, well, we can get a fake tree. So we did that for years and years and years. And then a couple years ago, um, I went to the store you know, and it's Christmas time, and I'm trying to be like a good husband, you know, I'm trying to be my wife's hero, and I'm trying to save money, you know, I think that's a good thing to do, so I go to the family dollar store, I don't know if you've been to the family dollar store, but it's not a dollar store, you walk in and things cost like six, seven dollars, and you're like, why does this say family dollar store, that makes no sense, anyway though, I went and I bought this Christmas tree, uh, this plastic, you know, fake stand-up Christmas tree, and I bring it home, and it's just terrible. It's like, you know, when Charlie Brown gets that tree and it like dies right away, like it's a, it's a fake tree. It can't even die, but it basically did. It was that bad. It was just ugly. It was like the thin, you could see right through. It was short. It was just, it was terrible. And I saw that look in my wife's eyes where she's like, oh no, Christmas is ruined. So I'm like, I'm going to fix this. So I go and I bring it back to the family dollar store and I'm like, hey, give me a better tree. I'm willing to spend at least five more dollars on a better tree. <laughs> Um, so I get 
the better tree. And, you know, it's a little bit bigger, but it's still really, really bad. It's just, it was ugly and terrible. And I could see, you know, my wife was disappointed. So I was like, oh, I'm going to, I've got to fix this. It's Christmas. So I drive to Walmart and I'm like, give me the best fake tree you have. And I bring it back. And this time it's too tall. It's like so tall. It like hit our ceiling and bent. It was so ugly and terrible. And I just, you know, I just looked at my wife and I'm like, I have ruined Christmas. What have I done? So I was like, I've got to fix this. So I drove back to Walmart and I was like, I'm going to get a real tree. I know it's a bad idea, but I'm going to get a real tree. So I, I grabbed a Douglas fir. And you see, I don't think things through because, you know, I'm a millennial and they don't teach millennials how to think things through. So I, um, we got to figure out life on our own, you know? So I didn't bring a truck. I didn't bring, I brought my little Toyota Corolla and I didn't bring anything to tie the tree to the roof. So I was just, I was like, okay, I paid for this tree. I own, I own, I'm the proud owner of this Douglas fir now, but I have no way to get it home. And I was like, what do I do? So I asked two of the employees to help me and we shoved that tree into my little tiny Toyota Corolla. And the entire drive home, like the tree was like rubbing up against my face, like, like pine needles were like in my nostrils and I was breathing it in the entire drive home. And, and that was the day I learned I'm not actually allergic to Christmas trees <laughs> because I probably would have died on that drive home. And you know what? I, I tell this story just to highlight the fact that we all make mistakes. Like as humans, we fail all the time. I don't know about you, but I make mistakes on a daily basis. Now, here's the thing. God knew about these mistakes before we even existed. I mean, have you thought about that? It, it's not like, you know, he died on the cross and rose from the dead and was like, now live this amazing kingdom life. And then when he noticed we all just keep failing all the time, he was like, oh, oh wish I could take that back. No. You see, God knew about every failure we would ever make, every mistake, and knowing all that, he still came and lived a hard life and died a horrible death so that we could live a life that is glorified. Because you see, the Christian life, it's not about our successes or our failures, it's about the success that he made on the cross, the success that he made in the manger. And he has already lived the perfect life. And as we follow him, he lives that life through us. Any Johnny Cash fans in the room? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to sing. Just kidding. That would be terrible. But I heard this amazing story recently from a pastor, and he was talking about how Johnny Cash, um, there's that record, Folsom Prison Blues, super classic. It's like this live recording of Johnny Cash in the prison. And when you listen to it, the, the, uh, the inmates are so excited. You see, Johnny Cash used to be an inmate himself. He had trouble with the law before he became a musician. So he goes because he wanted to do a favor for these poor, these guys who were in the jail. So he, he had a heart for him, a heart of compassion. And so he's playing the music. He's playing their songs, their favorite songs. And they're cheer you can hear them on the live recording. They're cheering and hollering and so excited. And they did an interview with a guy named Merrill Haggard, who uh, he got out of jail and he became a musician. Johnny inspired him. And this is what he said. He said, you know, when Johnny showed up that day, he came in singing and his voice wasn't so great. I think he had lost it partying the night before. But you see, soon he won the crowd over because he started singing our songs. He was with us and showed us that he cared. He was a mean, tough dude from the South and he was there because he loved us. You see, the prisoners felt loved by Johnny because he identified with them. That's the heart of God right there. God identified with humanity. 
He didn't say, I'm going to save you from a distance. No, he came down and became a baby. He came down and he sang our songs, the songs of humanity, crying out in pain, the songs of humanity saying, we need help, we need hope, we need a savior. Jesus came down and he lived our life to show us how we could live his life. He fed the hungry, loved the poor, freed the captives. He was the friend of the sinners because Jesus knew how to sit down with somebody and he didn't just tell them the truth. No, he listened and loved. You're not, those of you guys who are married, you know you're not truly loving unless you're listening. You can tell someone you love them as much as you want, but if you're not listening to them, you're not truly loving. God listened to us before we ever listened to him. He heard our cry. He heard our pain and he came down and he listened and he loved. My question for you tonight is, are you listening? Because I think God has some amazing things he wants to show you tonight. And there's the temptation to show up at a Christmas Eve service and be like, I've heard this story a million times. But listen, God always wants to bring a fresh word. Are you listening tonight? Are you with me? All right. Let's go into this time of worship, not just with open hearts, but with open ears. Because throughout the entire night tonight, I think God has something for each and every one of you. So listen, let's worship now.